0: When you were a kid, did you ever find yourself digging your hands into the soil of Florida, pulling up grass and mud and sand, going as far into the land as you possibly could? Growing up with dreams of discovering a hidden pirate treasure or a lost relic from time, during my quiet time at recess, I would occasionally pull up large clumps of grass, hoping to find a golden coin just beneath the surface. More often, I would dig as deep as I possibly could into the high, sandy parts of Florida's beaches. If you have done this yourself, you know what you find when you have sunk far enough. Go deep through the strange layers of Florida's malleable ground and you will wind up in a pool of water, straight from the surrounding bodies. It is the inevitable truth of Florida land. Water is just out of sight, flowing far below, but not too far. But it wasn't always adventure and discovery when I imagined the soil beneath my feet. There was also fear. Most kids growing up in Florida, when they inevitably hear of the phenomenon of sinkholes, are racked with the same terror that gripped me as a child. Sinkholes, the unpredictable sudden collapse of the earth beneath your feet, terrified me for most of my childhood. You see, most of Florida is made up of two types of rock, limestone and dolomite. Those two types of rock often erode thanks to flowing water. When they erode, they become what is known as karst formations. The term karst, spelled with a K, refers to any stone formation made by erosion like caves or springs. Because limestone itself is very porous, the water passes through with ease, allowing it to fill voids and create new structures below. When the ceiling of the vast openings below can no longer support the weight of what's above, the earth crashes down leaving an opening in the surface. They are hard to track and difficult to keep a record of, but the Florida Geological Survey does their best to keep note of all unusual developments in the ground, like sinkholes. And the Florida Department of Environmental Protection provides no solace for one's concerns about collapses. Their website reads, quote, Since the entire state is underlain by carbonate rocks, sinkholes could theoretically form anywhere, end quote. That doesn't exactly bring me peace of mind. I wish I could tell you that adulthood has removed the persistent anxiety, but sometimes you read a quote like that and it all comes rushing back. Florida's surface is a fickle thing, and living above the endless cavities makes one suddenly aware of how unstable the world can be. But the strange layers of our watery peninsula are not merely a boon for anxious residents like myself who fear potential collapse. For our local archaeologists and geologists, the peninsula provides an unending puzzle, a twisted knot of truths and untruths, where every individual discovery may not be exactly what it seems. Many archaeological sites across Florida are left with unanswered questions thanks to complex relationships with land and water. But no site has faced more controversy in the past century quite like the set of remains discovered in Indian River County over 100 years ago named the Vero Man. I'm Nick D'Alessandro, and this is Wait 5 Minutes, a podcast about Florida by a Floridian. This week, the Vero Man, Florida's most controversial fossil, and the team trying to bring the past to life. I'm joined this week by Dr. Andy Hemmings, who insisted I call him Andy. About halfway into our conversation, Andy startled me by informing me that he had a scoop to share on the show. I think
1: and I'm astonished and embarrassed for myself that I hadn't thought of this earlier, but I think we have a scoop for you here. What? I think think what we have is in fact the very first Florida Man story. Beautiful. As you know, as we all know, the um, phenomenon of Florida Man is nothing but strange Florida things that are controversial, and we don't really have any explanation for why. Why would they do that?
0: (laughs) As many issues as I have with Florida Man as a concept, Andy is completely right. If you're looking for controversy and confusion, look no further than the Vero Man site where Andy has been working for the past few years. But before we get into that, before we go into the story proper, there's a few things we need to settle. Let's talk about time. Whether you know it or not, you are living in an era of time that is called the Holocene Epoch. That's two words, Holocene, from the Greek meaning entirely new, describes this specific era that we live in right now. This is the Holocene. The term epoch, spelled E-P-O-C-H, is used to describe huge periods of time, and you likely know many names of other epochs. The Jurassic Epoch, or the Cretaceous Epoch, for example, but that was over 100 million years ago. We've been in this era, the Holocene, for about 10,000 years. The beginning of this era is defined by the end of the previous era, the Pleistocene Epoch, which we all colloquially know as the Ice Age. The Pleistocene was the last, most recent Ice Age. During the Pleistocene Epoch, Florida's shape was much larger. Our coasts stretched miles and miles wider than their current locations. There was much more land for the people who lived on the peninsula to roam. So, the Pleistocene began about two and a half million years ago and lasted until about 10,000 years ago. Then, the Holocene began, which is where we are now. So, Pleistocene, Ice Age. Holocene, Modern Age. Got it? Okay, back to the story.
1: When the ice age ends, we basically have the extinction has occurred of mammoth, mastodon, and a host of other animals. The the ice has melted enough that Florida, peninsula Florida, has shrunk in size by roughly 50%. Um, North America shrinks by about 12% in total. Um, It's a very different landscape between the Holocene or modern era and the Pleistocene or ice age was like.
0: Dr. Andy Hemmings is just the man for sorting this sort of thing out.
1: I'm an archaeologist that specializes normally in the first people to get into the New World, so the, the earliest human occupants of North and South America, particularly focused on and much of my work um, in Florida because, it, it, it coming here originally, the underwater sites have exceptional preservation of organic material that does not normally survive in terrestrial sites.
0: Andy started working at the old Vero site in 2012, where he has done years of work, come to several more conclusions, and is preparing with his team to publish all of their findings in a new report. It's the first major report to come from the Vero site in a long time, over a century after remains were first discovered in Indian River County in 1915. That is where the discovery begins. About
1: 1912, they started the excavation of the canals. There's about 227 miles of canals, I believe it is, in Indian River County that are administered by the Indian River Farms Water Control District to this
0: day. Areas around the Indian River Lagoon are historically home to the most active and prosperous orange groves on the continent, and the turn of the century is when the area started to blossom into the massive operation that it's known as today. People were flooding to the region for work, for land that could be part of that great economic boom that the coast was seeing, so water had to be drained from the area. And
1: so they started digging the canal to drain the land and sell it off in roughly five acre units and, and build homes on it. When they did that, they went through an old sand dune that's about 125,000 years old that was also holding the western edge of an old pond that had been there since the Pleistocene.
0: The canal excavation disrupted a pond that had been on Florida's land since the Pleistocene epoch. That is a long time. And when the pond was disturbed, things started to come to the canal's shores.
1: Starting in 1913-1914, local folk started finding extinct animal bones on the edges of the canal that just got done.
0: People were finding fragments or whole bones that once belonged to animals that had not been seen on Florida for millennia. This attracted a lot of attention to Indian River County's new canals, along with the attention of a man named Dr. Elias Howard Sellards. E.H. Sellards grew up in Kansas and left the state to finish his graduate studies at Yale around the turn of the century. By 1904, he was invited to become the Chair Professor of Geology and Zoology at UF in Gainesville. By 1907, he was the State Geologist of Florida, where he worked for 14 years studying geology in the state. The State Geologist, by the way, is a crucial position in Florida. They are the head of the Florida Geological Survey, or the FGS. The FGS documents and collects data regarding our complex relationship with the Earth beneath our feet. Their very first state geologist was, in fact, Dr. E.H. Sellards. He spent years in Florida gathering and sharing research, but he was looking for more. In 1913, he put out a call.
1: I want to figure out what animals have ever lived in Florida, so if you have old fossils, contact me and we'd like to know about them. And the guy's in Vero got a hold of Sellards. He came and visited the site in 1914 or so and said keep your eyes peeled, see what else turns up. And in 1915, human remains started to come out of the same layers as the extinct Pleistocene fauna, which set off all the work
0: and of course the controversy. So the surveyors were consistently finding bones along the riverbed, and when Sellards came, he advised them to look for something resembling human bones. And in 1915, the Vero Man was found. A quick side note here. The Vero Man may be a lady. Okay. Man in the very general term. The, 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 the Vero Man, like mankind. Yes. <laughs> like, like Vero Man. <laughs> <laughs> we are not entirely sure that the Vero Man is actually a man. The remains may be the Vero woman. Nevertheless, in 1916, with the human remains now found, Dr. Sellards assembled an A-team of sorts. These folks could answer every single question regarding the remains that he could find. Sellards, you'll remember, was not an archaeologist. He was a geologist. Andy Hemmings tells me that the very idea of archaeology was still something being developed, and Sellards' work was ahead of its time. At the time the
1: initial excavations occurred, the science of archaeology was fledgling at best. To his credit, and people, other people have said this for, for a number of decades, to his credit Elias Sellers' Excavation and his research team of bringing in a paleontologist, um, a, a botanist, a paleontologist, uh, ichthyologist, specialists in all the different sub-disciplines, zero in many regards really is the first interdisciplinary Paleo-Indian archaeological site work. Wow. That the attempt to find out everything we can in a broadband sense with all of the various information we can marshal really gets some of its genesis right here.
0: Sellards and his team examined the artifacts extensively. Photos from the State Archives still exist from the era, and it is remarkable what was recovered from the site. The most incredible photo is that of a cast that was done of a skull. So much of it was intact, the solid dome of a human cranium surviving for all those years. The Sellards team was satisfied with what was found, and based on the specific location of where the Vero Man was discovered, they came to a conclusion. The Vero Man died 14,000 years ago right here in Florida, placing him right smack dab in the Pleistocene era, the Ice Age. That is when the Vero Man died. And that is where all of the trouble begins. Before we move on, one last sidebar. Let's talk about Strata. In archaeology, when one digs into the layers of the earth beneath our feet, what you are specifically digging into is a slice of earth that is identified by archaeologists as a stratum, stratum being a singular stratum and strata being multiple strata. There are many strata in Earth's surface, and each stratum is a different variety of items that can be found from a historical standpoint, and this can vary from different areas where research is being done. When one digs into the strata at a site, certain suppositions can be made about what you discover. If you find one item and you are relatively certain that it's from a specific era, and then you find another item, and you're not sure when that one's from, In theory, you can consider that those items are from generally around the same time period because they were found in the same layer of Earth. Nowadays, archaeologists have many, many more ways to date things to be absolutely certain of the time this specific item came from. Now, Dr. Sellards, back at the discovery of the Vero Man, used the stratum that the Vero Man was discovered at to make a huge assumption. The animal bones that were discovered, he believed to be, Pleistocene era fossils, and Viro Man was found in the same layer, which means that, making an assumption based on the things discovered, Viro Man died in the Pleistocene. If Dr. Sellards was operating in the modern age, he would have further tests, such as radiocarbon dating. But Sellards worked in Viro 30 years before radiocarbon dating was even invented, so we will have to forgive him for the mistakes that he made next. Which brings us to a man named Ailes Erdlichka, an Austria-Hungary-born anthropologist who became the curator of the physical anthropology collections at the Smithsonian in 1910. He traveled the world studying human remains and analyzing their origins. By the 1920s, Erdlichka was writing extensively about the Neanderthal and their development into Homo sapiens. To say that he was an expert on the subject would be an understatement. So, when Hertlichka came out against Dr. Sellards, it began to cast a huge pall across the Vero Man findings. When Sellards comes out with his report, he essentially states that the Vero Man is the first major discovery of human remains alongside Pleistocene fossils. That is a huge statement. Erdlitschka comes back against Sellards hard, saying that a conclusion like this by Sellards was premature at best, saying that the lack of anthropologists involved in the excavation was a mistake. To quote Erdlitschka directly, he says, quote, It is scarcely safe for the geologist or the paleontologist to assume that the problem of human antiquity is his problem. End quote. Ouch. Nevertheless, Erdlichka was invited to the site by Dr. Sellards. Sellards wanted to show Erdlitschka that if the body was found in a Pleistocene-based strata, then surely the Vero Man was from the Pleistocene epoch.
1: I actually looked at the letter where he invited Erdlichka to come to the site in, in July of 1916, uh, yesterday. And Herdlichka's and reply was, well, they may mean that but it may also mean that there are intrusive burials later in time. Sellards felt that was not the case because you couldn't see any disturbance. If you, you know, if you go in the backyard and you dig through the upper layer of black dirt around the grass and you get down to lighter sands and eventually white sands, we're we're talking Florida here, you're not likely to hit a rock. (laughs) Um, You can see the changes in the levels and and the supposition is that Things in the same layer are generally deposited at the same time. And of course, there's exceptions to that, as Sir pointed out. But, essentially, they ended up very quickly talking past each other, and the argument became unresolvable. It, it, it's a basically a Gordian knot of, your criticism doesn't matter about what the other guy is asserting.
0: And just like that, the problem twisted up, and both men moved on to their next projects, leaving the Vero Man problem that they created unresolved. A century later, thanks to modern technology, Dr. Andy Hemmings is close to an answer. The trick to pulling it all together comes in the form of the small pond that once existed on the site of the Vero Man before the excavations for the canal. When the canals were being dug in Viro, the pond was drained, and it altered the strata around the site. This pond, Andy has discovered, provides evidence that there were indeed people in this area 15,000 years ago, which is in fact the Pleistocene Epoch, the Ice Age. The
1: Vero site itself at the end of the Pleistocene would have been uh, a ponded little lake on the order of varying between say five and 10 acres or so, maybe a little bit bigger on occasion. Um, this being held in place by the railroad track, which is of course the Atlantic coastal Ridge. That sand dune, the high ground they put the railroad tracks on has a little gap in it that is now the canal. At zero, but the reason they put the canal there is the same reason that people were there in the Pleistocene. That little pond had three streams feeding it that drained an area of almost 900 square miles, meaning that the best water source for 900 square miles was that little pond right there. So, was people on that landscape a couple miles away, if they wanted a good drink or wanted to go find um, a mastodon, they would have come to the site. So, five miles. It's not on site, but we know we have people, without doubt, 13,000 years ago in this immediate area."
0: And to complicate the site even further, he tells me that there was an incredible discovery just 60 feet west of where the Viro Man was originally discovered. They found fossils of bison, and they found an animal that seems to have been killed using a bone and ivory tool that were used by people during the Pleistocene epoch most of the bones themselves were extremely brittle and difficult to move, due in part, because the bones were actually burned thousands of years ago. But what is most compelling to Andy Hemmings is the large collection of marine skeletons that were found on the site burned to a crisp.
1: So to suggest that, and I have a list, sand sharks, lemon shark, black tip shark, probably some other spinners, sheep's head or porgy, Red drum, redfish, and um, black drum landed there and got burned. And the sharks are all pretty small. They seem to be in the sort of maybe 6 to 12 pound range. These are the kind of small things that people probably netted or speared in a near shore thing. Short of, and I, I, it's terrible to say it, but a flaming nato.
0: Yeah.
1: I don't know how you put it. that diversity of species in that small an area all burned adjacent to where we
0: seem to have a taper kill. A huge collection of fish from a far distant body of water burned to a crisp all in the same area? I don't know about you, but that sounds like a camp to me. It's hard to know the absolute truth, and here is where it gets really heartbreaking for our old pal Dr. E.H. Sellards. This discovery was found just a few feet higher, relatively in the same layer as the Vero Man. They are basically in the same layer. Essentially,
1: they are in the same layer. The problem is, cellards dug in the pond, and you can see the face of the dune that is the edge of the pond, that rises up three, four feet, and gives you that vertical distance, a difference. And it's the terrestrial deposition of that layer that that covers where people had camped out and had a fire.
0: Put simply, the pond was right next to this potential campsite, which is why people were there at all for the water. Thousands of years after the bones of the marine animals were burned, near as Andy's team can tell, the Vero Man was buried in the water of the pond during the Holocene Epoch, after the Ice Age had ended. The people there essentially sunk the Viro Man into the pond as a burial. So when the water was drained from the pond because of the canal, it appeared by an imperfect eye that the Vero Man was in the exact same layer as the other Ice Age artifacts. The Vero Man was a modern skeleton buried right next to Ice Age relics. They were never from the same time period, just found in the exact same place. With early archaeology as the estimate for the truth, Dr. Sellards made an incorrect conclusion. When the water was drained, artifacts began to deteriorate to certain degrees, making them all look similar or impossible to distinguish.
1: So the human remains and artifacts look like they belong with that material, even though they were interred probably thousands and thousands of years late.
0: So Dr. Sellards was wrong. Or as Andy Hemmings puts it,
1: Sellards is right but he gets an asterisk because he was right about the site but none of the data that he had really supports what we find or what we've found in the last you know 10 years now uh, is that in fact we feel there was a pleistocene occupation of that site and that in fact they show something very interesting and that is the utilization of aquatic and marine resources which we are not surprised at at all it's just Finding that data 30 miles inland from the Pleistocene coast, that's a real big deal.
0: Two conclusions happen at once. Dr. Sellards, in making a statement that Ice Age peoples lived here, opened the team to the important discovery that Pleistocene-era people were fishing and bringing their catches that far. But Dr. Sellards, upon further review, was profoundly wrong about the Vero man specifically. Erdlichka, the Smithsonian anthropologist, was far closer to the truth. Dr. Sellards himself may have been able to make similar discoveries and amend his final conclusion, but he didn't. If
1: he'd have dug the same layer in the upland area, he, he, he stopped digging when, when he got to that edge of the pond. And, and for whatever reason just didn't think, oh gee, I should dig on land because that's where the people would be, not in the pond. And I... If I could ask him one thing, and I would love to have a conversation with Dr. Sloan, if I could ask him one thing, I would say, why didn't you dig there? You saw, it in the, you saw the same layers in the stratigraphic profile
0: you did. But he didn't, and he walked away from Vera with a clear answer, leaving Dr. Hemmings to return a century later, and finally, hopefully, finish what was started. And we are close now. A report and a potential book are on the horizon. As for the Vero Man himself, many of the remains are not accessible to the researchers at the moment, but the site and all of its treasures are. After years of effort, it appears that Andy and his crew have done the impossible. They've untied a Gordian knot that had been slowly twisting up for thousands of years. Now, it's on to the next puzzle to solve. Archaeology, from my layman understanding, feels like writing a book backwards. You know how it all ends. Here we are, opposable thumbs and complex tools. How did we get from lowly primate to top of the food chain? Archaeologists and their ilk are compiling that story bit by bit, globally. Though Andy Hemming shares that some of the community is still trying to prove who discovered the oldest thing first, a practice he admonishes. He shares that writing the story should be the goal. What
1: people have become fixated on... Is the earliest dates, rather than novel human behavior being expressed by people in the Pleistocene that we've never encountered before.
0: Right.
1: And to me, that's a travesty. What does it take in the Pleistocene to get red drum, to catch redfish, or stab them, or run them into a trap, or net them? Well, we're not exploring that. We're fixated on. Well, my sites, you know, they were there three weeks before they got to your site. Therefore, I'm the oldest, I'm the best. Come on, who cares? Tell us something about the, the struggle for survival in the Pleistocene.
0: He also shared with me a good lesson that he would share to those who would tour the Vero site back in the day.
1: I would ask everybody, when they came up to the steps before we went down into the, the scalding hot tent to go see the excavation, if, while they'd been walking around the site and seen the original excavations were, did anyone ever look behind them to see if they'd been stalked by the spectacled bear, the dire wolf, or the, the saber cat or the American lion, all of which are the monstrous carnivores of the Pleistocene that have been found at Bureau. And of course nobody'd ever looked around behind them. And the point I was trying to make is that the behavior we exhibit today would get us killed on day one, In the same spot, if we were visiting Vero, when these people were here, we would not have lived a day if we did not change our behavior. And that behavior and trying to figure out as much about essentially a triumphant arrival and, and survival and thriving on a new continent should be the story. When exactly that happened is just part of that story.
0: Surviving and thriving is the story. There may be secrets left to be found beneath Florida's soils, twisted tales of geological complexities. There are people writing that great backwards book, learning more about ourselves today by pulling on the threads of our anthropological history. Maybe one day, the entire picture will be clear for us all, and we can see everything as clear as day. For now, at least, it's nice to know that our Ice Age ancestors made a life here, back when swamps ruled the terrain and the great beasts of yore still roamed the miles of this, our strange, watery peninsula. you so much for listening to this episode of wait five minutes it means the world to me that you tuned into this episode if you are brand new to this show or if this is your first episode welcome i'm very glad that you have decided to jump on to this adventure if you are looking for a good place to jump in and listen to older episodes, you do not need to go all the way back to the beginning. That was two years ago. That's old news. Listen to one of the most recent episodes from this season, or if you're looking for something a little bit like the episode you just listened to, I have not done an archaeological episode before, but I have done lots of history episodes. In fact, the episode about the shape of Florida involves some really fascinating historical documentation of an unusual part of our history. If you would like to go check that out there's a link below where you can go check out the back catalog of the two years of this show if you did enjoy this episode, please consider leaving a five-star review below. It helps the show become more visible to those who have not seen it, and it means the world to me that you tell me what you like about this show. I've gotten some really outstanding reviews lately, and I cannot tell you how much it means to me to know that you enjoy this show as much as I enjoy making it. You can also find me and share the episodes on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at WFMPod. If you want to send me a message, you can do so at WFMPod at gmail.com. I'm looking for stories story ideas for season five. So if you have anything that you want to hear on this show, please shoot me an email. And if you want to follow my personal Twitter account, you can follow me at WFM Nick. I'd like to give a very special thank you to Dr. Andy Hemmings. He is an extremely interesting man who has done exceptional work in the state of Florida. I highly recommend that you keep a lookout for his book about Vero Man. If you'd like to see more about what he is doing on a day-to-day basis, he has a website called paleotopioneer.com where he shares some of the work that he is doing. I look forward to speaking with Dr. Andy Hemmings again very soon. Thanks to Lauren Nix for photography used on the social media channels. You can check out more of her photography on her Instagram page, lauren.nix.photo. Her last name, I forgot to tell you last week, is spelled N-I-X. All the music used in this episode is from Lobo Loco. You can find more of their fabulous tunes below. Next week, I'm telling you a few short stories that were previously left on the cutting room floor from this past season. Two weeks from now, we will begin the season finale of season four. It will be a two-parter about a fascinating topic, but next week, some short stories and a guest appearance by our old pal, Tampa Bay Times reporter Gabrielle Khaleesi. I am very excited about this episode. You are going to love it. Until then, I'm Nick D'Alessandro. Be good to yourself. Be good to others. Wear a mask when you go outside. And please, for your own benefit, drink more water. Have a good week.